Amen. You may be seated. Well, you guys are awake today. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Praise Jesus for the resurrection. He's resurrecting us <laughs> even today. Well, we are so thrilled that uh, God is setting us free. And he's doing it in us. He's doing it in India. He's doing it around the world. And so uh, what, a, what a joy to, to praise him on this day. So we are in the third week of going through Ecclesiastes, and some uh, have told me, wow, we're so excited for Ecclesiastes. Others said, that's so depressing. <laughs> and uh, the good news is I, I, the more time I spend in Ecclesiastes, the less I see the depressing side. The more I see the, the invitation to joy that God has for us, an invitation to joy. So I think all of us long for happiness. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a, that's a God thing. I think that's a reflection of God's creative image in us, is that we want to be happy. Do you want to be happy? <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> Thank you. I do too. We want that. We long for that. And the question is, how or where, where do we find that? And, and that is ultimately, I think, what Ecclesiastes is addressing. And uh, last week, we, we looked at how you, we have to wake up to reality. Um, we pretend. And our pretending, we think, helps us, but it actually harms us. It hurts us. And so part of Ecclesiastes is to pop those bubbles of, of those pretend worlds we try to create that we think we've somehow achieved happiness. Uh, I like what Blaise Pascal says. He was a theologian and philosopher. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. And so he's saying, you know, this is a deep human longing, a deep uh, desire that we have as human beings. But then he uses some, some pretty strong language to, to try to get our attention that People have tried all different kinds of things to achieve that. The cause of some is to go to war and others to avoid it. And the same desire is both to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man. And he says, even those who hang themselves. I mean, that's, that's a little drastic. But, but he's, he's highlighting this innate desire that we have, this goal that we have in life. It's even enshrined in our... Uh, our Declaration of Independence, right? To the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as Americans. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a God thing. But here's the, the reality that Ecclesiastes wakens us up to, is that life isn't simple. It's chaotic. It's difficult. It's elusive. And he uses the word, and I don't like how the NIV translates this because I don't think it's the right meaning of meaninglessness, what the Hebrew word is havel, which is breath, vapor, smoke. You can't control it. You can't grasp it. And when you think you have it, then it, it evades you. It's, it's, you can't hold on to it. And, and we know this. We know life is that way. We know life is complex. We run into that every day, and we know that personally, but we know that globally. I mean, we look at things like this virus that's affecting our world right now and our economy and everything around us and we see that we can't quite contain or control this life. That is what Ecclesiastes is pointing us to, is this reality that life is complex. It's like vapor. 
And the ultimate reality for all of us is the reality of death, that none of us will live forever, that there is an expiration date for all of us. And we have to awaken to that. And instead of that being a depressing thing, Ecclesiastes invites us to see that as the beginning to understanding joy, to understanding how to live this life, how to learn how to live this life under the sun. And that's the, the phrase that's used throughout Ecclesiastes to remind us that life is temporary, that life is fleeting, that it's, it's like breath. And the question is, can we learn to live with joy in this life? That is Solomon's question and his pursuit. Last week at the end of chapter one, Solomon explored this idea of if we just have enough knowledge, just enough education, just enough wisdom, then, then we will achieve happiness. And he said, no, that wisdom and knowledge in of itself, and, and last week I shared this testimony of the scientist who, who thought that science could answer those deepest why questions, but what he found is that it left him empty. It was Solomon's conclusion, but, but science was explained much of the how, but only Christ, the gift of Christ, explained for the scientists his deepest need, his deepest purpose. It was through a gift. And in the same way, Solomon, as he's probing these different things, this morning we're coming to chapter 2, verse 1, and here Solomon is going to test and see if pleasure could answer that ultimate question of happiness and satisfaction. And this is what Solomon says, chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind was still guiding me with wisdom and I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the sun or under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. And I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. And so here we have Solomon describing a pursuit for happiness. And he's looking for it in pleasure, a pursuit of significance, this pursuit of meaning. And he's looking to see of pleasure. And verse 1 describes what he's doing. He says, come now, I will test you. And so he's talking about the testing of his heart with pleasure to find out what is good. He's looking for meaning and significance and happiness, and he's testing his heart. I think all of us have tested our hearts with different things. <laughs> Everyone here has a story, and you've pursued different things, and you've tried different ways of, of thinking, of being, of, of looking for different things. All of us 
have that story. And so what Solomon has told us already is, is life can't be about gain because he's tried gain. And the reality is there is no gain in this life. And what he is exploring here is that if selfish consumption is a way to achieve some kind of happiness or significance. And the reason I call it selfish consumption is because if you go through this passage, how many times does the word I show up? <laughs> I did this. I wanted this. I made this. I desired this. You see a lot of I <laughs> in this passage. And so what Solomon is doing is he's revealing this idea of selfish consumption, that it's all about his desires and fulfilling those desires. We have a term for this we call hedonism. And so all of us have explored this or tested this in some way. Now, as we go through this list, and Solomon has a good list here for us of things he tried, and I, th I think these things are very relevant for our day and age as well for our lives. I think what I want to encourage you to do is I think there's going to be two reactions. And so what I want you to do is not think about someone else. I'm going to mention some names or even think about those names. But I want us to do what Solomon does where he looks at his own heart. He tests his own heart. And I think that's the invitation for us this morning is not to, uh, and I think the reaction could be either I want that as well. I desire that. Or our reaction could be, how could someone ever do that? And we become judgmental. And we begin to condemn and judge others for the desires and the things that they pursue. And so there's those two reactions. But my invitation to us this morning is not to do that, but rather to look at our own hearts. That's harder. <laughs> that's more difficult. But I think that's ultimately what Solomon needed to do because we don't know, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but we believe that potentially Solomon repented. He came to a place of recognizing his need for God and I think Ecclesiastes is a great uh, testimony to that. And so each of us also needs to test our own hearts. And so as I go through this list, be careful not to desire these things or or, or think I want that, or to be judgmental of others. And so as we go through this list, I've thought about people in our lifetime who've pursued these things to the degree that maybe Solomon did. <laughs> because I don't know if any of us have, have done this as far as Solomon has. Maybe we've tried, or we've probed him, but we've never done it as much as Solomon. The first thing Solomon says he pursued was comedy, laughter. And I like comedy, <laughs> I like to laugh, I think all of us do, but, but maybe we haven't pursued it as much as Solomon or as much as someone like Robin Williams, who uh, when I looked up some things he said, he said, in the process of looking for comedy, you have to be deeply honest. And in doing that, you find that there's this other side, there's this other side of comedy, that you're looking under this rock and occasionally for laughter, but on the other side is depression. And so Robin Williams was honest there, saying, you know, I pursued this. I looked for happiness here, but there's this other side, depression. Solomon pursued wine and alcohol. And he said, maybe if I pursue that, then, then I will find happiness. I think in our day, a man named, named Brad Pitt, you've heard of him, an actor, he's talked a little bit about his love of wine and his pursuit of wine. And he says, I mean, I have a winery. I enjoy wine, 
very, very much. But then he says, I just ran it to the ground. He, he ran it to the ground. He discovered that it didn't satisfy as much as he thought it would. Solomon built houses, and I think this is something as Americans we, we enjoy, and uh, we kind of think, you know, only the rich and, and famous and powerful do that, but there's this couple named Chip and Joanne Gaines, uh, the house, uh, I don't remember what the name of the show is, Fixer, Fixer Upper, okay, my, I look at my wife because she knows. <laughs> so... What they've done is they've made it accessible for, for all of us, you know, taking these old homes and turning them into something beautiful and wonderful. And so they, they've pursued that to the ultimate degree. But even as I look through different interviews and they, they still talk about their ultimate priority and satisfaction comes from their family and their, their kids as even as they've pursued these other things. How about Solomon's planting vineyards and gardens and parks and ponds and orchards? Um... I thought of a, a lady named Kim Wilde, and she's a, a British singer, and she's kind of known as an as a, as a ultimate gardener, creator of, of different uh, parks and gardens. And she says, performing, I can take it or leave it, but horticulture is much more challenging. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. But then in one of her songs, this is what she sings, In the day I can smile, though I want to die, Hold on, hold on, I can keep it together for a little while and be strong, so strong, but when the sun goes down and I'm all alone, I haven't the strength to fight, and that's when my tears give in the night. And so there's this other side. Even as she's found pleasure in the gardening and the orchards and the ponds and all this stuff, there's still this elusiveness, this habel, this breath. How about power over people? Solomon had slaves, and I'm so thankful that in our culture we don't have slaves anymore. Praise God for that. But that was the economic system of much of the biblical times. But, but I think the principle of pleasure remains. And now we don't have slaves. Now we have employees. <laughs> Do you ever feel like a slave is an employee? <laughs> but, but it's this idea that there's somehow pleasure in being, having power over people, telling people what to do, right? And the name I thought of is, is Jeff Bezos. He's one of the most powerful employers in our culture today. And he's talked a lot about this issue of employing people. And it's been uh, controversial. But he says, it's not easy to work here. But we're building, we're working to build something important, something that matters to our customers something we can tell our grandchildren about. He says, such things aren't meant to be easy. We're incredibly fortunate to have this group of dedicated employees whose sacrifice and passions build Amazon. And so Jeff Bezos, he's, he's epitomized control and power over people. What about wealth? Solomon said he had gold and silver, so much more than anyone ever before him. I mean, one of the wealthiest people in our culture is a man named Bill Gates, right? And when I looked at some of the interviews he's done, and they asked him, did your money make you happy? And he says, well, I think, I think it did bring some happiness. I didn't have to worry about health costs or college costs. I was free from worry about a lot of things. But then he said, I don't think you need a billion dollars to achieve that or experience that. And he talked about happiness with his kids and his children and commitments and also his desire to be a giver. What about sexual consumerism? I mean, Solomon, we were told in 1 Kings, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, 
I know what you're thinking. How do you keep track of all those anniversaries? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. So Solomon pursued this to its ultimate degree. And I think about who in our culture has, has done this. Uh, Hugh Hefner, he really led the sexual, was part of the sexual revolution in our American culture. And uh, the New York Times did an article on Hugh Hefner and they said basically he won. His way of thinking has kind of won in our culture. And basically his idea was to go against the conservative backlash and basically bring this philosophy that everything is about consumerism, anti-censorship, let the buyer rule, it's hedonistic. In the long run, it's his salesmanship of a libertarian ideal. And this is what Solomon talks about here. What does verse 10 say? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So this is the human dilemma, is can we find happiness, can we find significance, can we find meaning in pursuing the desires we have for pleasure? And Solomon tells us his conclusion. His conclusion was that everything was habel, breath. He couldn't grasp it. He couldn't hold on to it. It was a chasing after the wind. And here's his conclusion. Nothing was gained under the sun. He tried it all. He did it all. And these people that we've talked about have tried it and done it. And our reaction here this morning is important. Do we, do we go that same path? Do we pursue those same things? Or do we stand in judgment of those people? I think both of those reactions are not good reactions. They expose something about our hearts. I think of what 1 Kings 11.4 says because it, it talks about Solomon and his life. And this is what 1 Kings says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not true to the Lord his God. And so the, the ultimate issue here for Solomon wasn't just the pursuit of pleasure. This was a worship issue. This was a worship. And his heart began to be consumed with worshiping these other things and these other gods. And it took him away from the Lord, his God, the creator of everything. And this is what it also says. It says, it was not like the heart of his father, David. So what was it about King David that was different than Solomon? As Solomon tried all these things, his, his heart got, got, got taken, captured, enslaved by his passions, by his desires. But David was different. Jesus, I think, gives us the clue here. And, and I love that in Ecclesiastes, as we get to chapter 3, this is where Solomon is going. He's going to remind us that it's not about gain, that we cannot gain through this, but that God is a gift giver. <laughs> that true meaning and significance has to be given by God. And this is what Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's like building sand castles on the beach, right? It won't last. The tide's going to come in and wash it away. But he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And what he's talking about is not 
heaven as, as a place after where we go, where we die, but it's, it's the reality of God. It's the reality of who God is both now and for all of eternity is it's the place where God is king, where he rules and he reigns, where he is the ultimate treasure. He is worthy of our worship. He says, store up for yourself treasure in God and the reality of his rule and his reign where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, what God cares about is your heart. He cares about my heart. That's what he wants to save us from. And Solomon is, he's, he's testing his heart. He's probing these other things and, he, and he's trying to find something to worship that will ultimately bring him satisfaction and happiness. But he didn't find it in these things. But what does King David say in Psalm 73? He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing that I desire but you. You see, David, he saw that God was a treasure and that he desired God as the ultimate treasure. And this is what he says, my flesh and my heart may fail. This is what Solomon wants us to see is that, that we will get old, we will get sick, we will die. But this is what he says, but God is the strength of my heart. What will sustain us? What will give us joy that will last? And he is my portion forever. David understood worship of God. In Psalm 16, he says, I will always keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You see, King David discovered that if God is our joy, if he is our treasure, the things of this world, the tides and the chaos and the viruses and the economic calamity, none of that can steal what God can give. It's a treasure that cannot be destroyed. He says, my body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Even that final enemy, even death itself cannot rob the kind of joy that God gives, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. We serve a resurrection God who's taking old things and making them into new things, old sins and turning them into beautiful evidences of God's grace. You make known to me the path of life. And so what we're, what we're being invited to is not just self-denial, not just to, to take away all pleasure, but it's an invitation to ultimate pleasure, ultimate joy. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. God's goal is to bring joy. His goal is to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart, your heart, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, David understood that in God, there is pleasure forevermore. And so if life is not about gain, if, if Solomon is saying, I, I tried all these things to gain, but, but there is no gain. And then later in Ecclesiastes 3, he says, God is a gift giver. But life is about gift. And it's about worship. And so what... The comparison here, the option here is to see that life instead of gain, that life is gift. And if life is a gift from God, then he alone can unlock joy in this life. And so no longer is pleasure something that we look for outside of ourselves, but we begin to see that joy is possible in what God gives within us. The thing about a gift is it requires some humility, <laughs> right? 
it, it requires that we have to recognize that we don't necessarily deserve it. We haven't earned it. What do we call this? Grace. <laughs> this is grace. This is an invitation to grace. And when we understand that life is a gift from God, as James says, that every good and perfect gift comes from God, our Heavenly Father of lights. And so when we talk about the goodness of God, it's not just in the essence of who He is, but it's everything that He brings with Him <laughs> to the table. That He brings not only Himself, but He brings everything He owns. That's why in, uh, in the New Testament it talks about us being heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, meaning God owns everything that's good, and if we have God, we have everything He owns. <laughs> And so then we see that the things of this life, the pleasures of this world, are gifts that God gives. But there's a danger in the gifts, is that if we begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver, we can become slaves. And this is what Galatians 1 said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. You see, if we begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver, we become slaves. And I think there's two kinds of things that God wants to set us free from this morning. He wants to set us free from the slavery of idolatry, of pleasure, as, as if that itself could provide ultimate happiness. You see, Jesus came to set us free from selfish consumerism. That somehow, like that fruit in the garden that Adam and Eve wanted, it, that they desired, that somehow that fruit could satisfy everything when God himself <laughs> was available to them. And so we have to ask ourselves, and, and remember, we're not thinking about others here. We're looking at our own hearts. We're testing, probing our own hearts. Is there a pleasure in your life that's become selfish consumerism? And only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. You have to look at your own heart. Has your heart been, been led astray by a false god? Are you using things and people to get something that you want? Is it about you? If so, Jesus invites us to confess our sin, to repent. His grace is available. His forgiveness is available. He longs to forgive us, to restore us. He wants to set us free. But I think there's a second thing that God wants to set us free from. When Jesus was walking in this world, the, the Pharisees continually told him, why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you going to parties so much? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. He, he chose the biggest party that the culture knew about and he said that's what the kingdom of God is like <laughs> it's this big party it's this big feast and so the other issue of our hearts when we talk about pleasure is we can become like the Pharisees we can become judgmental and we look at people and we condemn people and that's wrong and God wants to set us free from that he wants us to see that every good gift comes from God and we don't worship the gift we worship the giver but we enjoy the gifts that he gives us we're free. <laughs> We're free to worship God and enjoy what he gives. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we close. And so instead of selfish consumers, we become gift receivers and gift givers. Almost every scientific study and every um, um, 
a lot of people have made this observation that the happiest, most joyful people are givers. <laughs> and that's what God is. He's a giver. And he invites us to be givers instead of selfish consumers. Would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, we come to you. We confess our sin that we have so often pursued the gifts. We've tried to find pleasure and happiness in our own desires. And we found that many of those things are cruel slave masters that destroy our lives. Lord, I know that there's some here who have struggling with that. And I just pray that they would confess those things, that they would come to you and they would find that you are good and that you forgive and that you heal and that you set free. Some of us here are like Pharisees and we've been very judgmental. We've been looking around, condemning others, judging others. Lord, set us free from that. Help us to be filled with joy and to enjoy the gifts that you give because we worship you, the giver of everything that's good. Lord, thank you for your presence this morning.